Thanks for joining the Pendell Ministry Network podcast. We hope that this will not only benefit your ministry, but also your spiritual walk with God. Enjoy. We all know his story, Peter. He's a, he's a likable guy. He's a hero, but he's also adult. One minute he's walking on water, the next minute he's sinking in water. One minute he's exclaiming, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. The next minute he's arguing with the Christ, the son of the living God. (laughs) One minute Jesus is lavishly complimenting him. You are Peter and upon this rock I will build my church. And the next minute Jesus is rebuking him. Get behind me, Satan. One minute Peter is promising to die with Jesus. The next minute he's denying even knowing Jesus. I am Peter. And so are you. When functioning in his divinity, friends, we rock. But when functioning in our humanity, we roll. (laughs) Peter confidently, no, he, he arrogantly declares, even if all these others forsake you, I never will. And Jesus confidently prophesied, Peter, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. We're all like Peter. We have our ups and downs. We have our successes and failures. We're kind of bipolar that way. And sometimes we wonder why the people in our churches and in our ministries can't get it together. Well, they're like Peter too. So let's have breakfast on the beach today. Let's join Peter and Jesus for a fish breakfast. It's been about 10 days after the crucifixion and therefore it's been about 10 days since Jesus was arrested, his trial at Caiaphas's house, the night that Peter denied him three times. And you remember the little servant girl who challenged Peter <laughs> as if to add Punch to the denial, he swears, he curses. Dang it, I, I don't know the man. And in one of the gospels, Luke's gospel records that Jesus looked up and glanced across the room and his eyes met Peter's. And in that moment, everything changed. It's been 10 days since Jesus and Peter had a one-on-one. It had been a long night of fruitless fishing. Jesus calls out to the boat from shore. Try the other side. What? The other side of the boat. Try the other side. Now the empty net is full. John says to Peter, it's the Lord. And and 
Peter, impetuous Peter, cannot control his impulse. He dives in the water. He swims to shore, grabs the net that's full to breaking. He drags it on the beach. And he gets ready for his one-on-one. The the conversation is confrontational, but gentle. It was a difficult conversation, but it was restorative. And Jesus asks those questions, Peter, do you love me? He asks three times, we know, it's no coincidence. And Jesus' words are like a scalpel. He uses sentence structure and the Greek vocabulary to identify not only Peter's failure, but the pride and the arrogance that led to that failure. Three times Jesus affirms Peter's call to ministry, and in so doing, Jesus is suturing the wound from which the pride had been extracted. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep, or lead my flock and lead my sheep. Now Jesus is the good shepherd, we know that, and a good shepherd does not entrust his lambs and sheep to a bad shepherd. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. I am Peter, so are you. You see, Peter needed restoration of his soul before he could preach on the day of Pentecost. He needed this one-on-one with Jesus before he could lead 3,000 people to a salvation experience on the day of Pentecost, and together they would enter into an Acts 2 journey. Let me ask you, friend, today, this morning, on a Wednesday morning in May, how is your soul? How are you doing? That tender part of you, that part that is passionate about following Jesus, that part that once enthusiastically anticipated a life of ministry and service, and then you went into the ministry, (laughs) and it all changed, didn't it? It looks different from this side of the call than the preparatory side. The statistics are pretty raw. They tell us that 72% of pastors report working between 55 and 75 hours a week. 84% of pastors feel that they're on call 24-7. 80% believe pastoral ministry has negatively impacted their families. 
90% of pastors report that the ministry was completely different than what they thought it would be before they went into it. 70% of pastors report that they have a lower self-image now than when they first started. 35% of pastors, a full one-third, report battling depression or fear of inadequacy. One out of ten Pastors who go into ministry will retire from ministry. Let me flip that statistic. Nine out of ten pastors who go into ministry will not finish in ministry. So let me ask you, Pastor, how is your soul? How is that internal part of you? We are convinced that in order for us to be an effective part of Jesus' church, we need healthy pastors leading and serving our churches. We need healthy pastors, and and when I say healthy, I mean healthy in all respects, a holistic sense of being healthy. We need pastors who are spiritually healthy. But here's the reality we know The work of the ministry can be a huge hindrance to your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It just never stops. The phone continuously rings. And now, who was the idiot who who invented a phone that we keep on our person at all times. And isn't it the truth that has, that has elevated the sense of expectation? I texted you three minutes ago, don't you love me anymore? I sent you a message on Facebook. You never responded. There's a good reason for that. I never checked the messages on Facebook. There's just too many. Too many platforms to keep up. Email. And on and on we go. Uh, friends, the, the, these, these things. How is your soul? How is your spirit? How is your, your personal devotional life? If we're going to be spiritually healthy, we must be in the word and prayer. That's not optional. And if the work of the ministry has supplanted our spiritual disciplines, we're no longer healthy. If we can't find 15 minutes or a half an hour of sequestered time to pray, Seek the Lord. If we're going to be a a healthy Pentecostal pastor, we should also be active in our prayer language on a consistent basis. Are we full of the Spirit or not? So when we talk about healthy pastors, we're talking about healthy 
pastors spiritually healthy and then also emotionally healthy. That statistic that one-third of us deal with uh, depression and anxiety on a, almost to a clinical level, it bespeaks uh, an imbalance in our life. And that's not condemnation. I mean, if you're going through tough times, please don't hear criticism. That's just not part of the, that's just not part of the script today. But we need to address our emotions mentally, cognitively healthy. Are we overloaded? How many things do we forget in a week? You know, I heard about a, a, a pastor was sharing with another pastor. He says, I forget so much. And the other pastor said, hey, I went to a seminar. We learned how to remember more. <laughs> Personally, I'm waiting for the SD slot behind the ear. Span memory. Well, the pastor said to his friend, well, tell me the secret. He goes, I'll give you an example. He said, yeah, um, uh, it's, uh, it's a, a flower, often red, petals, stem. It has thorns on it. Rose, yeah. Hey, Rose, what was the name of that program that we went to last week? <laughs> the reality is we have a lot of mental clutter. There's more information to manage than we have a human capacity for. Relational health. How are your relationships? The relationships in the church. And I know so many times these things can go sideways. Sometimes we create the monster. Other times we inherit it. I was with a, a friend, and I, I always considered my board my, some of my best friends. We hung out together. We went out together. We shot stuff together. We were, we were friends. And his name's Marvin, and, and Marvin was going through an interpersonal conflict with uh, another board member. And he, he said to me, I really didn't know what to do because this other board member, he said, was just jawing at me and he was insulting me. And uh, I was thinking about how to, how I was, I wanted to respond in anger. And he said, then pastor, I remembered you. And he said, do you remember that time? And he recounted a time when a board member laid into me. Now, I'm a pretty responsive guy. But I have heard the Holy Spirit sometimes speak to me. And he said, shut up. King James Version, peace be still. <laughs> and and this, this board member really laid into me, and I just felt that the, the best course of action um, was I, I gave a one-sentence response, and I let it rest. And you know, that, I think that saved our relationship. 
And, and the next week, we functioned as if that confrontation had n- never occurred. Now, I knew I was right, and, and he probably knew I was right. I don't know if we... Yeah. But I'll tell you what the right thing to do was. The right thing was just to be quiet. He needed to vent. He was hurting. He was disappointed. And I just happened to be a convenient target. And our relationship can, uh, continues to this day. And when Marvin, <laughs> Marvin said, so when this guy's jawing at me, your, that picture came to my mind, that clip, that memory clip. And he said, Pastor, I knew you knew how to take a beating. And in that moment, I needed to take one too. You know, sometimes relational health, we, we need to know when to respond firmly and directly and even confrontationally. I'm up for that. But there are other times where you sit down and you be quiet for the greater good. Relational health. How's it going with you and those people in, in, your, in your flock, in your ministry, in your congregation? And to be sure, the Bible anticipated conflict. It never denied that there would be church conflict. There's just too much teaching about resolving conflict to not understand that it's going to happen. Relational health, and then finally physical health. I just, I, I just want to applaud Brian Knorr, and uh, uh, you, you just, you look great, man. You make me sick. <laughs> I forget how many pounds he's lost, and and Dan and Jen Courtney, and you know, take care. We we need to we need to be challenged to take care of ourselves physically, right? We need healthy pastors in our churches. And we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. As a network, it is our assumption that we exist for the local church and not the other way around. This is a basis of our assumption and it is the basis from which we do ministry. The Pendel Ministry Network serves two basic functions. On the one hand, we have ecclesial functions. These are responsibilities like credentialing ministers and maintaining those credentials, church affiliation and maintaining those affiliations. And these are general counsel, constitution and bylaws responsibilities. We as a network office, we can't get away from them. We have to do these things. So on the one side, we have ecclesial functions, but on the other side, we have missional functions. And in these missional functions, we find ourselves partnering with local AG churches and pastors to aid in fulfilling their mission. Build the church, Matthew 16, 18. Make disciples, Matthew 28, 19. Proclaim the gospel locally regionally and globally in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what puts gas in our tank. Our network mission, if you will, is to develop healthy pastors in thriving churches. 
If we could whittle our vision down to one statement, this is what I want to see. That we as a network are contributing to your ongoing holistic health. I understand we cannot create that. But we can contribute toward it. We want to contribute toward healthy pastors. And the second half of that is thriving churches. For the life of me, I can't see Jesus' church as a failure. Everything that I read in the scripture and in the New Testament, Jesus said, I will build my church and hell will not prevail against it. I believe that. I can't see a second. There's not a plan B. There's not another option. Is your church thriving? If the question is no, it's not. How can we get it there? That's our challenge. Pastor, if, if you're going to have a thriving church, you have to be healthy. Now, I know that some areas of health, really, they deviate out of our control. But as much as it, as much as it is possible between us and God, that's what we want to create. Healthy pastors. Man, we want to see your church thrive. We want to see you hit full stride. We want to see you knocking down the gates of hell. Between July and November of 2018, you know, we conducted a SWOT analysis at our listening tour in each of our 12 sections. With nearly 450 participants, thank you for coming out, articulating some 1,300 ideas. We are listening for what the Spirit is saying to the church through the church. And I give you the results. These many pages, thank you, have helped me to write two papers. <laughs> but it was papers for a purpose. And it's to invest back into this network. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to us? through our church family, through our ministry family. And we process this feedback through prayer, reflection, collaboration, and integration with AG polity and practices as well as those foundation stones that others have laid which we build upon. Things like we're better together. That just can't go away. I see it everywhere now. Pastor Steve and his team back in 2002 should have copyrighted that statement. So better together is just, it's just what we do. And our constitution and bylaws talk about relationships, reproducing and resourcing as being some of our fundamental uh, uh, activities. That'll never go away. That just, that just makes sense. This morning I present to you four anchors, four different anchors for our framework of ministry and leadership that will, that will provide the, uh, the railroad tracks. It'll be the, the banks of the river in which we flow during this next season of ministry. Uh, th these anchors, to give you a quick overview, are minister care, 
ministry resourcing, church planting, and church recalibration. Our breakfast with Peter, observing his need to be restored and Jesus' desire to care for his soul, brings us then to our first anchor, minister care. 1 Timothy chapter 4, the apostle Paul urges his young prodigy, listen to his words, keep a close watch on your life and on your teaching. Stay Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of those who hear you. Of course, staying true to doctrine is imperative. In in addition to doctrinal concern, Paul urges Timothy to take care of himself. I'll quote our brother, uh, Dr. Meyer from Valley Forge, who who told me one time, Don, self-care is not selfish. Reality is we take care of ourselves every day. Feed ourselves, we bathe ourselves, we take care of ourselves. Self care is not selfish, it's stewarding the primary resource that God wants to express Himself through. And so Paul instructs Timothy to attend to himself spiritually in 2 Timothy 1 6, emotionally in 2 Timothy 1 7, and physically in 1 Timothy 5 23. Paul cared for Timothy. We feel it's imperative that the network should intentionally care for our ministry family. During the listening tour conducted between July and November of last year, one of the strongest signals that we received could be categorized as minister care. A broad range of topics were articulated, identifying needs that our ministry family desires the network to consider. And so that list can be divided into two subcategories. First is personal care. Issues like health care, college debt, retirement needs, coping with bivocational realities, and the accompanying stress that comes from an overtaxed schedule and the stress of leading a church when animosity is sometimes present are some of those realities that were articulated during the listening tour. So we're working on it. The network leadership is therefore developing a structured plan for methodologically addressing the personal cares of our ministry family. And one of those, one of those uh, instruments that we're going to utilize is a full-time person who's part of, their, part of their portfolio will be minister care. The idea behind that is we have grown from a, uh, six or 800 ministers to 1,200 ministers. And there are a lot of there are a lot of needs that come to our office asking for assistance with guidance and so forth. At one time, schedules weren't as busy. We could take care of these matters much on a, on a local and sectional basis as part of the uh, presbyter's portfolio. I thank God for our presbyters. Amen. Amen. 
reality for our presbyters is they all pastor churches and they have also embraced a part-time job called the presbytery. And so they are stretched. And we're going to bring in some help to help coordinate pastor care. And of course it'll be an Ephesians 4 model where it's not just one person trying to care for 1,200 ministers. That's unsustainable. But it's, it's taking the resources that we have and organizing them and employing them so that, uh, quite frankly, we'd like to reach out to you a couple of times a year just to see how you're doing. We've heard that sometimes, that the only time we hear from the districts when we're in trouble. Well, why is that? <laughs> no, just kidding. That's, that's, that's really not a reality. But we feel compelled to provide personnel, ministers, who will reach out to our ministry family and go about the, 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 the beautiful task, if you will, of soul care. I'm so thankful for those, uh, you know, Bruce Gorski, and we'll, we'll, we're going to pause and pray for Bruce here in a moment. Bruce Gorski, 56 years old, had a tear in his carotid artery, had a major brain event, and remains in a coma as far as I know. I'm so thankful for Tim Bunny of the Southwest Suburban Section, went over and visited him in the Pittsburgh Hospital. John Kurt also visited. And thank you for caring for one another. We need to keep that going. But there are other important life events that we encounter that may not rise to an ICU experience, but emotionally and spiritually, we're feeling the impact. Would you just bow with me and pray for Bruce right now? Father, we lift our brother up before you even now, and Lord, uh, his prognosis is unknown, and circumstances would make it look bleak. But we serve a God who heals who when a withered hand is stretched out, it can be made whole. And we pray for Bruce and Renee Gorski today and we ask, Lord, for your healing power to be upon Bruce and comfort and strengthen Renee as she cares for her husband. Meet their financial needs and the church too, Lord, needs support. And I pray that, Lord God, you'll take care of them in these times of uncertainty. So we commit Bruce to you, Lord, and we pray that he be healed in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Well, there's personal care, and there's also a category that we could call professional development. Now, that, that professional term does not resonate real well with us because we're called. We're not professionals. We get that. But there are, there are some pieces of what we do that require a high level of skill and functionality. A topic that came up frequently during the listening tour was mentors. 
I don't know about you, but I value mentors. I've had some great mentors in my life. Some of them didn't even know they were my mentors, but they were mentoring me. Uh, when I watched Brother Bongiorno uh, conduct a business meeting, he was mentoring me. One time he called me when I was a presbyter and he said, Don, I need you to go to such and such a church. There's, a, there's trouble and, and I need you to be present to, to help manage that. And a little while later he called back and he said, Don, I'm going to have to do this. And I said, well, Brother B, can I come and watch? <laughs> sure. And so we went and it was a, it was a very delicate church situation and this was it could have ended up on ABC, NBC and CBS this did not look good and Brother B stood up and he began to conduct the meeting and one of the fellows in the, in the uh, 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 group said uh, uh, point of order and Brother B said what is your point of order and he articulated it and Brother B dismissed it and Brother B got a couple more sentences down the tracks point of order and this fellow did this three four times and finally Brother B said your point is out of order <laughs> and I'm taking notes oh that was good that was, that was really good and the fellow said I've taken a course in parliamentary procedure. I probably know more about it than you do. And I said, get him, Brother B. Go get him. Oh, he's going to tear into this fellow. And I was shocked. Brother B said, maybe you do know more than I do. But I'm chairing this meeting and you're out of order. And that stopped it. Mentors. Who's your mentor? Who, who is ahead of you in the journey that you can reach out toward and clasp their hand and let them pull you forward? If you don't have anybody like that, you're experiencing deprivation in your life. And I don't care how far down the tracks you get. There's always someone else who has that experience, that skill set, that condition of spirit and attitude that we can aspire to. And I want to grab a hold and let that person pull me forward. You've, you've mentioned this over and over and over again. We want mentors. But there's also another, another piece to the mentoring puzzle. And that is not only can we reach out and benefit from the person who's ahead of us and let them pull us up, but we should be reaching back. Because there's someone coming behind us that you have uh, maybe a few weeks more experience or maybe a few more years. Howard Hendricks said, every Paul needs a Barnabas. Every Timothy needs a Paul. And so our minister care individual will be tasked to developing structures, utilizing what's already in place and discovering others for minister care, 
and also for d- developing a, a mentoring program for those who would like to be a part of it. Over the last number of years, we've had the C3 network, and it includes connecting, coaching, and catalyst, and we're going to expand it to MC4, mentoring, coaching, connecting, catalyst, and um, four is <laughs> consultants. And we'll talk more about c- consultants in just a moment. Anchor number two is ministry resourcing. This is the second part of Pendel's missional expression. And it presently exists through our present departments. I'm so thankful for our 12 departmental leaders who are available to our churches and to our ministries, whether it be youth ministry or children's ministry, discipleship, boys and girls ministry, our more than conquerors and uh, our worship ministries. We're just so thankful for those who have stepped forward. They're available to help us. Our district exists for the purpose of resourcing our congregation's missional needs. I want to put the word missional in capital letters, bold it, underline it, and highlight it. This is what we do is all about the mission. It's all, uh, theologians are using the word missio Dei. It's God's mission. He's been on mission since Genesis. And his mission today is, Jesus said, I've come to seek and save that which is lost. That's his mission statement. And he, he, he calls to us to join him on mission. Go therefore, take this gospel everywhere. Make disciples of all nations. I believe, I believe, I believe in soul winning. I can't think of anything that is a higher priority in the local church than for us to, to, to bring people who don't know Jesus into relationship with him. And so that's why we have departments. We don't have departments to entertain the men and women of the church. We don't have departments to to keep the boys and girls busy. We don't have departments to look relevant. Our departments, I, I believe, are for two simple reasons. Reach the lost, grow the found. It's what we do. And so we as a, a network want to partner with you. We want to be available to you. We want to resource you to, the, to those ends. Ministry resourcing. And as we move forward, we're calling all of our departmental leaders to come into alignment with those purposes. It's who we are, it's what we do. So there's ministry resourcing, of course, ongoing training, and our desire is to train churches, train leaders, but all for the purpose of, tr- of training leaders to train other leaders. 
You have to have leadership structure in the church in order for it to grow and in order for it to flourish. If we want to thrive, we need people who will help us lead. The pastor can only, the pastor can only lead a church of 50. Once you get beyond 50, you're in over your head. It's like herding cats. You know, they're going in all different directions. They don't even want to be herded. And I remember sharing with my board one time, I said, guys, I need to call you to a higher level of leadership. And part of calling you to a higher level of leadership is you have to reproduce yourself. If our church is going to grow, you know a structure that goes up really high has to go down really deep. When we visited the, uh, the World Trade Center and Liberty One and we, we looked at the, uh, 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 the foundation of one of those towers, it was amazing how deep and substantive the foundation went in order to hold that structure. So if, you want to, if, if we want to grow from 50 to 100, if we want to grow from 100 to 200, we have to have structure or else it falls over. We want our departments to help you with that structure. Developing leaders, to develop other leaders, to grow your church, to grow your ministries. Of course, there are the ongoing events that we continue to do. I think it's something that our district leadership has has demonstrated. They do this really well. Youth convention and, and uh, youth camps and kids camps and these things. I'll tell you what, I, I so applaud our, our leaders who, who get this job done and they do it with such excellence. Anchor number three is church recalibration. Now hold on to your seats because I'm fixing to get excited. We've been looking at the information, and, and really this information has been uh, being uh, circulated since the mid-1960s when the mainline denominations recognized that their numbers were falling off. And so during the 60s and 70s and early 80s, the mainliners, their, their numbers were sliding, and it was anemic. And in the assemblies of God, that was a season where we were growing. There was the the charismatic renewal. There was revival. uh, uh, There were so many complementary ministries that were all funneling into strengthening our tribe. So we grew substantively. But in about the mid-80s, something happened. I haven't identified what that something is, but we can see its results. That steep spike started to level off. And here's the reality, if it wasn't for the Latinos, if it wasn't for the Hispanics, our tribe would have declined. And so here we are, and our realities are stunning as a Pendel ministry network, 28% of our churches are growing. 45.5% are in decline. That is our present reality. And 24.5% 
are plateaued. Now that, that's not a one-year number. That's a number that is taking five years into consideration with a plus and minus of 10%. So if you fall between the plus or minus 10%, it's considered plateau, but 10% or more over a five-year period, is, it is established, that is the baseline for understanding decline. 10% over a five-year period of plus numbers indicates growth. Well, here's the reality. 72% of our churches, and this follows the national average in the assemblies of God, so we're not unique. This is systemic and it's across the board. We are largely plateaued. I find that personally unacceptable. I can't embrace it. I can't say, oh well, it'll be what it'll be. By God's help, we want to cut that number in half. And when we cut it in half, the next goal will be cut it in half again. Jesus said, I will build my church. Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witnesses locally, regionally, nationally, globally. How are we doing, pastors? Whether it's the church at large or a ministry within the church. I believe God wants us to have healthy pastors in thriving ministries. Where we're, where we're the norm is bringing people to faith in Jesus. That becomes the cultural norm. I love that. We experienced such a unique season when, when we were in Uniontown. We were having people saved every week. Had an evangelist come in and preach revival, and he said to me, Don, you're in revival. I didn't know. <laughs> had, a, had a young lady come into our church uh, uh, during the week and she said, uh, is Pastor Don here? I want to get saved. I wasn't there. I missed it. And so she went into one of our assistant pastor's office and he led her to Christ. She's serving Jesus today. Another person came in off the street and said, I've, I need God in my life. I don't know what to do. Can I talk to a pastor? We were all gone that day. Our janitor took them to the altar and led them to Christ. <laughs> That's a missional church. That's a missional culture where it's not dependent upon one. It's not dependent upon, you know, the, the all-star team. But everybody on the team and everybody in the church is on the team has the ability to lead people to Christ. It's possible. If there's anything that I'd love to leave you with today, I want to leave you with these words. You can do this. You can do this. 
It's not unique to that church over there because they're in that circumstance. They're in that context. And so because they're in a growing community, they're in a growing church. I'm glad when that works out, but it doesn't always work out that way. That's not the reason they're growing. I want you to know whatever, whatever context you find yourself in, if you're in, a, if you're in a suburban context, God will use you in suburbia. If you're in an urban context, are there people there that need Jesus? Amen. Go get them. I love Mark Novalis. I got to visit his church in Philadelphia, and he took me around the block, and he said, Pastor, I want to own the block. Man, that's the kind of vision we're talking about. If you're a, a, a small church in a small city, there's some good news for you. You can own that city. Church revitalization, recalibration is on my heart. How are we going to do it? Well, we're going to ask you to partner with us. If your church is plateaued or declining, we think we can help you. Nah, that's weak. We can help you. The Acts 2 journey is going to come up again. Uh, we're going to have it at the conference center in September. I think you had some literature in your packets when you came. We'd love to invite you to come out and be a part of it. If I were pastoring a brand new church or if I were past a brand new pastor in a church, I'd take my team through the Acts 2 journey because it's a really good exercise. It's just solid and it talks about transformation. And I, I love what one, one brother said. Transformation is not a destination. It's a journey. We're being transformed all the time. You never get to a place where you say, oh, there it is. We're transformed. Look at that. We have new carpet and new chairs. And we've got a new sound system. And we got the lights and the fog thing going on. And we're transformed. Well, let me tell you what. Our culture's changing every two years. The reality is we're changing, and man, it's not going to slow down. It's fixing to ramp up. We've seen a lot of change culturally. But friends, with what computers are doing and algorithms, in the next 30 years, you won't recognize culture for what's coming down the road. The church is typically 10 years behind the curve. And so I applaud you millennials for your social media and your, uh, uh, I wish you'd get up earlier in the morning and go to bed earlier at night, but that's just my opinion. <laughs> But I, I look at this generation and, and I know they're fraught with some, some, some things that were unthinkable when I was a youth pastor. Anytime we used the word gay when I was a youth pastor, it was tongue in cheek. It, it wasn't, today it's a reality. And our millennials are inheriting this thing. They've got to figure it out. Well, anyway, Acts 2 journey. I'm a little off the path there. We're also developing recalibration consultants. 
people who can come in where the X2 journey may not be a one-size-fits-all fit for everybody. And, and I've, I've talked to pastors who just sometimes they said, you know what, we went through another program and it, it just pooped out. And it, we can't go through another program. It just isn't going to fit for where we've just been. We can, we can give a more highly individualized look through consultation. Ron McManus and I have had several conversations where we just sat down and we dreamed together. And Ron is working with another district, I believe the New Jersey district, in developing consultants. And we're going to do the same thing here in Pendell. And then uh, to coordinate this, this is a grand effort. You're, you're talking about if two-thirds of our churches are plateaued or declining, then two-thirds of 400, well, we're, we're, that's a lot of churches. And so the individual that we're going to hire for minister care is going to have a dual portfolio of also coordinating church recalibration. And we're going to give that a huge amount of attention because if we're going to cut that number in half, it won't happen by accident. Now, I know it's not by might and it's not by power. It's by my spirit, saith the Lord. That is our first priority. That is our go-to. That is our high value. But we also recognize that the Holy Spirit partners with us and in what we do. And we're thankful for those that he will raise to leadership. The fourth anchor that rounds out this framework of ministry is church planting. We have to keep planting churches, folks. Last year, for the first time in assemblies of, in recent past, I have never seen it before, uh, it was reported to us uh, on a national level that we opened 300 new churches. Praise the Lord. We closed 319. In our district, the uh, figures were we opened eight churches and we closed nine. That is not how you make forward momentum. We understand that there is a life cycle and some of our churches are on life support. It's just where they are. Aside from that, a reality is that the most robust evangelism happens through new church plants. So if we value missional living, we better plant some churches. We received a list from uh, the church planting uh, network, CMN, and uh, they sent us a list of communities within our district. There were dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of churches, or excuse me, of communities that didn't have AG churches in them. And we know we're not the only kid on the block. But you know what? We're not responsible for the other slices of the pie. We're responsible for our slice. God has tasked us. He has given us a commission. He has given us a purpose. He has given us a stake in this thing called global evangelism. Church planting is essential. 
And so we're so thankful for Tom Reese and and the the diligent hard work that he continues to give to church planting in our network. Ethnic churches and R1 planting are working very well. uh, uh, Tom introduced that last year. We've had four of uh, uh, ethnic, what, what we mean is people who were citizens of another country. They came to the United States. They felt God calling them here. How many of you know missionaries are being sent to the United States? And they were running into those problems of uh, citizenship and the right to stay and, and make money. And so uh, the R1 initiative was launched and it's working well. We have another guy in the pipeline. We've planted several churches and God is good. We want to encourage you if, 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 to, to put it on your radar. Put it on your vision, pastor. Grow your church Bring people to Jesus, let it expand, and then multiply. God will, you know, I I remember back a number of years ago, one of our churches was about ready to close in our section. I just hate closing churches. I just hate it. And I said, you know, we've invested so much time and effort into this. Let's not close it. And I had had a little group that was meeting uh, in the basement of the church on Sunday nights. And they were were becoming a cluster. And um, I could tell that the teacher, he was in, he was getting his credentials. And I could tell that he had a pastor's heart. And eventually he went ahead and applied for credentials. And I said to him, brother, there's about 25 people attending your Sunday night class. Why don't you take those 25 and go over to this other community and infuse some life into them? And, the, and well, when they, these 25 people went, they more than doubled the church. And you know, something good happens with that kind of an upsweep. Put it on your radar to plant or revitalize another church. Make that part of your heart. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Let's go back to breakfast. And I want you to put your name in in this blank. Put your name there. John, Don, Paul, Ann, Cheryl, do you love me? It's interesting that Jesus pairs the love of a disciple with that disciple's service to him. Three times he asked, do you love me? Three times he said, go to work. It's not the first time Jesus introduced the thought. If you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Do you love Jesus? I know you do. Follow him. Follow him. Lead, feed, care for his flock. And every now and again, leave them in the care of another shepherd so you can go out and find the one that's missing. It's what we do. It's what he told us. Do you love Jesus? I spoke with a young woman recently and she shared with me that she was selling diamonds. 
pretty impressive. But she conveyed to me that the Holy Spirit spoke to her and said these words, you're not doing what I called you to do. She had let her credentials lapse. She was on a different path. I wonder how many of us would hear the Holy Spirit. And would he say to us, you're not doing what I called you to do. You remember that passion, that idea, that imagination, that fantasy of what ministry would be? And I wonder if locked in that imagination and in that fantasy was the core of what he wanted you to be doing all along. But we, we, we get distracted because of the conflict, the drama, the problems, the never-ending texts, calls, and emails. And we don't get back to that one or two things. I dare say that there are some of you who have been called to missions and you've settled for pastoring. And it's inconvenient, I know. But are you doing what he called you to do? We, we, we're human. That's our nature. And Peter exemplifies it. We're human. And sometimes we default to comfort. He never promised us that kind of comfort. If we read the scriptures and apply them to us and we take Paul's example, there's also deprivation and hardship and sacrifice. There's suffering. It's not a, it's not a topic we hear very often, how to suffer well. suffer we will it's inescapable and unavoidable and sometimes I understand we feel like cashing it in enjoying the 9 out of 10 don't you do it let's find our strength in the Lord let's find strength in one another just a couple of minutes, I would dearly love to pray over you, for you, that you will pursue with wild and reckless abandon the mission and the map that he's called you to. Discouraged. I've been there. do this. You can do this. It's not limited to a few exceptionally gifted people. You can do this because Jesus wants it done. He's the primary stakeholder. I will build my church 
whether you're in Clarion or Clarendon or Philadelphia or Pittsburgh or Harrisburg or whatever the community is, he wants to build his church in you, through you. He wants to see it done. He's determined. I will build. He didn't say I might, could be, hope it happens. There is a determinism in his voice. I will build my church and hell's fury cannot stand against it. Secondly, he's given us the Holy Spirit to energize us, motivate us, empower us. Sometimes he gives us a special gift that is outside our reality to bring the supernatural in intersection with the natural. And cool stuff happens. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will, not might. Stand with me, would you please? Lord God, in this place, in this moment, will you infuse faith to our hearts? This moment, Lord, would you birth in us a can-do attitude? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Birth that in us. I pray this morning, Lord, that you will take us back to an altar experience. For some, it's a youth group or a youth camp or a kids camp experience when you called us to ministry and we had a a holy imagination. Call us back to that moment. And I pray, Lord God, let faith rise within us. Thanks for listening and we hope that you found value in this message. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can subscribe and share it on your social media to encourage others to tune in using the hashtag MyPendel. Thanks again and God bless.